we're going to turn to the Bible, and we're going to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 17, but we're really just going to focus on one verse. We're going to focus on verse 16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, but I want us to see where we get, how Paul gets to that in this letter that he writes. So he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and we're going to read 1 to 17, and focus in particularly on verse 16. So let me pray, then we'll read. Father, please help us by your spirit. Lord, you promise that where we gather in the name of Jesus, you you promise to be with us. No matter how many people there might be, you promise to be here by your spirit. So we're excited about that. And pray for your help now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great, here we go. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So all in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you to impart some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have now been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, crystal clear, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that's what I want us to focus on uh, this Boxing Day. Now, of course, you only say something like that if there is the potential for shame. Yes? It's like saying, I'm not scared. That would be a weird thing to say unless there was a reason that you might potentially be scared. If I came running up to you and said, I'm not scared, 
your initial reaction would be of what? (laughs) You'd look around for a potential source of fear that I am declaring I am not afraid of. Now, you only say it when there's something with the potential to bring you fear. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed, it only makes sense if we understand there is something that has the potential to bring Paul shame. So here is what we're going to try and do in our time together. Firstly, we're going to try and locate the shame-creating potential that might exist that leads Paul to say, I'm not ashamed. Why is it that Paul might be ashamed? Or why is it that we might experience shame when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then once we've identified the shame-creating potential, we will then explore the shame-overcoming reality that leads Paul to say, I'm not ashamed. I hope that makes some sense. (laughs) So let's start with, What is the shame-creating potential? What is it that Paul sees that might lead him to be ashamed? Well, let's think about this word shame. We use the word shame in a lot of different ways. And they're not unrelated to each other, actually, when you stop and think about it. One article I read this week describes shame as that unpleasant, self-conscious emotion. Yes, it's an unpleasant thing to be ashamed, to to feel shame. No one enjoys shame. There's no one on earth who goes, actually, today, my great ambition is just to be embarrassed. I really want to be ashamed. I want to be shown up. No, we hate it. It is an unpleasant emotion. And because it's unpleasant, we therefore spend a great deal of our lives seeking to avoid shame. So shame leads to us hiding things about ourselves. We curate our lives in such a way that the bits that we are comfortable with, we put on display up front and center. But the bits of our lives we're embarrassed about, we hide. So rather than seeing the whole me, you see the bit of me that I think won't lead me to experience shame. That's what shame does. Look, I hope you're tracking with this, right? That is why shame is so powerful. That is why shame can be used to manipulate uh, and control people. Why is blackmail effective? Blackmail only works if shame is very powerful, right? When someone says, I'm going to expose what you did. You will pay a great deal of money in order to hide and to avoid the shame that would come from your secret being exposed. The cruelty that human beings inflict on others on social media. The tabloid press. We talk about fat shaming, bullying. So much of it is driven by the power of shame. Is he shame? So let's be clear, being ashamed is a powerful emotion. Now, some of the shame that we experience comes from our own moral failure, a sense of our moral failure. 
The way that I spoke to that person, I think back to it and I feel ashamed. You know, I was once on a weekend away with a bunch of other Christian leaders. We were training for something. And I had, I was quite anxious to get back from these things, you know, because there's always things to do. And you, so I, I was driving back from this weekend away. And I was driving up this hill. And there were two lanes. It was an overtaking lane. And I was very keen to get back. So I pulled into the overtaking lane. And honestly, there was a car in the overtaking lane that was going so slowly. It wasn't overtaking anyone or anything. It was just slowly going up the hill. I was desperate to get home. So I, in a moment of impatience, flashed my lights and honked my horn and waved my arms. Get out of the way, get out of the way. And eventually they did. And as I drove past, you know, you do your little... (laughs) And as I looked into the car, there were four leaders who I'd just been on a weekend away with. And they all looked at me and waved. (laughs) I felt so ashamed. I felt so exposed. I I wouldn't have felt ashamed if it had been a stranger because I would not have been exposed. But shame comes when suddenly you're exposed. Now that was a shame about my own moral failure. But Paul isn't talking about shame over moral failure. We will come back to that in a minute. But we can feel shamed about things that are not morally wrong. And that's the sort of shame when we don't fit into the sort of expectations that society places on us. We don't match up to the standards placed on us. This spawned a whole kind of craze among kids a few years ago. If you turned up to school wearing the wrong shoes, everybody would shout, What are those? And if you grew up in that kind of, I don't know how long ago it was when that happened, the, the fear of being exposed in that way was shocking and would lead you to feel the need to spend a huge amount of money to make sure you didn't have one of those shoes but had acceptable shoes. Now, there's nothing morally wrong with Clark's plimsolls, right? That's not a moral failure to wear those. But you can still feel ashamed. Because you don't match, you don't fit with everyone around you. And now we're getting closer to the sort of shame that Paul has in mind. The shame-creating potential that Paul knows there is in the gospel. You see, turning up with the wrong shoes or the wrong hairstyle or the wrong whatever it might be means you don't fit with what the world wants. And Paul knows that this message of Jesus is something the world doesn't want. The world doesn't want it. He's writing to a church in Rome, right? He's writing to a church in the center of the capital of the greatest empire on earth of the day, the Roman Empire. There is power and there is culture and there is wisdom and there is awesomeness all around them. Rome is home to the greatest political leaders and philosophical teachers of the day. 
This is what was fashionable. This is what the people wanted. They wanted political power like Nero. They wanted an emperor who would flex his muscles and show the world that he could do whatever he wanted to do. That's what they wanted. They wanted power. And they wanted wisdom. Remember, this is Rome. This is home to some of the greatest philosophers like Cicero and Seneca. They wanted the wisdom of philosophy. They wanted to be impressed. That's what the people in Rome loved. That's what they were looking for. It elevated humanity. That's about progress. Isn't that still true in our world today? This is why we, we, um, we have words like progressive. That's a prog- oh, he's a progressive leader. By which we mean they're, you know, they're enlightened. They're going to lead us forward. They're going to make progress. We love that. We're shaking off the old things, the old thoughts from the past. We, no, no, we've got new ideas. We can, look how great we are. This is, this is what makes us feel good. This is what's powerful. This is what's strong. This is what's wise. And we hunger for these things. This is what we want. Because we think these will give freedom. And here's the deal. If you give people what they want, they will love you. If you give people what they want, they'll applaud you and they'll honor you and they'll reward you and they'll promote you. But if you don't give people what they want, they will shame you. They will expose you. They will reject you. And you will feel exposed. And you will feel a massive pressure to shut your mouth and to hide. To put the shoes in the cupboard and never wear them again. Because shame produces hiding. Hiding the real me. And Paul knows that this is the problem. Humanity doesn't want the message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is neither impressively powerful nor spectacularly wise. And the world doesn't want it. Which means that the gospel will always have the power to create shame. Will always have the the likelihood of bringing shame. Because you are telling people something they don't want. It's like trying to Sell fish to a fisherman. I don't want your fish. I got fish. I don't need your fish. So why then does Paul say I'm not ashamed? If the gospel has the power to create this sort of shame, why does Paul say I'm not ashamed? Well, because Paul knows that although the world doesn't want it, he knows it is the one thing the world needs. The world doesn't want it, but it is what the world needs. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though it has this capacity and facility to create shame. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's just break that down, right? I'm going to see, I'm going to see three things now. To show you that this is not what we want, but it is what we need. And if you can understand that, it will help you to understand why it might cause shame. But when you grasp that it's what we need, then it won't cause shame. I hope that makes some sense 
Let's track with us as we go through. Firstly, look, it's not the power that we want, but it is the power that we need. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Now, power is a, is a great word for human beings. We love power. We've always tried to gain power. Anything that offers us a greater degree of power will get traction in our world. We grasp for power. We want to be in control. Because power is about being able to do things, right? In particular, power is about the ability to do what I want to do. I want to go to the gym and I want to lift this weight. The question is, do you have the power to do that? The ability. I want to win this race. Yes, but do you have the power to go fast enough? Or are you too weak? You can see this is power is an obsession of humanity because powerlessness is what we fear. To be powerless is the worst of all states. Power, the key to freedom, the key to be able to do whatever I want. Powerless means I can't do what I want. And so to be weak is dreadful. And so we have a tendency to be ashamed of weakness. I don't want weakness, therefore I try and hide weakness and I elevate strength. So I will show you the bits that I think are powerful about me, but I just will avoid the things that might make me look weak. <coughs> weak. Now I think there has been a helpful emphasis recently on encouraging people to be a bit more vulnerable. I think that's been something in our culture that's been happening in the last decade or so, encouraging people to be a bit more open about the, their struggles. But here's what I was thinking about this week as I reflected on that. It is still within socially acceptable definitions of what you can share. All that's happened is what is now permissible and not shameful has the definition has been changed. So now you can talk about these struggles because society no longer says that we should be ashamed of that. And what language do we, when someone talks openly about their struggle, what do we say about them? They're being brave. They're being strong. They're being courageous. You see, we're still obsessed with strength. We still say it's about being brave and courageous and strong. That's what it's all about. Genuine weakness is still despised in our culture. You know, I think that's why the pandemic has been so deeply disturbing to humanity. Because the pandemic has exposed how utterly weak and fragile we are. How vulnerable we are. So we want power, but the trouble is the gospel doesn't offer us the power that we want. We don't want the sort of power that the gospel is talking about. 
And so we'll have a tendency to be ashamed of the gospel because it's a different sort of power from the power of the world. If I was, had a message that said, this is how to be successful, this is how to be a hero, this is how to be strong, this is how to have no issues in your life, this is how to be magnificent and awesome, this is how to be a winner. If that was the message, the world would say, yes, yes, we love it. But the gospel talks about a different power. It's not a power in us. The gospel talks about the power of God. Not the power of humanity. And God's power is not like the flimsy sort of power that we as human beings are reaching for, that intangible power which so quickly slips away. God's power is awesome. God has an ability to get things done. God has the ability to do whatever he pleases. What is it that the angel said to Mary at that first Christmas? Nothing is impossible for God. I don't care how powerful you are. There are some things which are impossible for you. Even the most powerful human being on earth, even the great Emperor Nero, was limited in his power. Here is God who is unlimited in his power. But the reason that that might be shameful is because you have to first admit that it's not your power, it's his. In fact, when Paul gets to chapter 5 of his gospel, he is going to say, it was when we were still powerless that Christ died for us. You say this gospel message, which is a message of power, it's just not the power we want, means we have to admit that we are powerless. We have to admit that we're weak, not in some, oh, I'm weak and vulnerable sort of way, but in an absolutely weak sense. I am weak. But you know, that's the power we need. Because we think that if I could have power, then I could do whatever I want, and that would be freedom. That's not freedom because you're still limited. What you need is the power of God, which enables you to live the life you were truly created for. That's the power you need. So Paul says, yes, the gospel might bring shame because it's a message of not a human power, but it is the gospel that we need because it's the power that would truly set us free. So it's God's power. It all rests in him and in what he is doing, not in us. Here's the second thing. Paul says this message has the potential to bring shame because it's not the help we want, but the help we need. You see, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation. Most people in our world don't want saving. That we've just had Christmas, and there's all this talk about what you want. What do you want for Christmas? And Mariah Carey, you know, every year gets into, you know, all I want for Christmas is something, and you. Oh, yeah, it's you. That's all I want for Christmas. And um, we're obsessed with kind of what I want, what I want, what I want. No one says all I want for Christmas is to be saved. Because we don't think we're in danger. You only want saving if you see you're in danger. And politicians come. What politicians do is they don't come 
If you want to be a successful politician, you have to offer people what they want. This is why they care so much about opinion polls. What is it you want? What is it the people want? Then I'll see if I can give them what they want, because if I give them what they want, then they'll clap me, applaud me, I'll get honor, I'll get elected, and I'll be a great president, prime minister, whatever. And so human leaders are constantly wanting to know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? But Paul says the gospel is not about what you want. Because I tell you this, the thing you want is not the thing you need. If we make the gospel into something that we want, then it becomes a therapeutic gospel where it meets your needs or, or, or your desires. It meets your particular struggles. And no one's going to be offended by a gospel that comes and says, oh, look, let me try and help you to have a better life. Let me try and have you, help you have higher self-esteem. Let me try and help you feel better about yourself. Let me try and make your neighborhood a little bit tidier. Let's clear things up. Let's get some rubbish put away. People are going to love that. Let's feed the hungry. Great. Let's do all this great stuff. You'll never have to be ashamed of the gospel if you do those things. And you think that's the gospel. But when the message is, you need to be saved, suddenly the world doesn't want that. The world doesn't want to be saved. The world doesn't see the danger. You might say, okay, well, what's the salvation? Why do we need saving? Well, just two verses later, it's pretty clear why. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. Look, here's, here's the deal, right? God is angry. He is angry with a world that has suppressed the truth about him, that acts as if he's not a big deal, that, that thinks they don't need him. God is angry. That is a serious issue for our world. And we can clean the oceans and clean the streets and, and clean up our lives, but if that issue isn't dealt with, we are still under God's punishment, God's judgment. That is what we need. And the trouble is people don't realize they need it, so they hate the gospel. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's not what people want, but it is what they need. It's salvation. You see, this message of Jesus deals with the one key issue that every single human being faces, that you face. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Why would I be ashamed of the gospel? I guess it's like if you found a cure for some terrible disease, and you found a cure, and you went to people and said, I found this cure. They said, we don't want your cure. We're not interested in it. But there's people dying all over the place of this illness. And you say, but I've got a cure. You'd keep going, right? Because you know it's what they need, even if they don't see it. And that's what Paul believes he's found in Jesus. He's found the cure. He's found the solution. He's found the answer to our biggest problem, that God is angry. The wrath of God is being revealed. So Paul says, I know it's not what you want, but it is what you need. Of course he's not going to be ashamed. And that will 
overcome the shame that the gospel has the potential to create. Which brings me to the last thing, and then we'll wrap up. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's not the life we want, but it is the life we need. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, not human power, the power of God, that brings salvation, not therapy or nice life or cleaning up, salvation to everyone who believes. Believes. The heart of this message is that the only way for the wrath of God to be dealt with is by believing. The only way to live is by trusting in what God has done. That's what verse 17 is all about. This gospel message is how this God who is rightly angry at us, how we can be made righteous in his eyes, how through Jesus we can be put right. That it's all what he has done, not we, what we have done. It is all by his work, not our work. Jesus went to a cross, the righteous one. He gave his life as a sacrifice in place of me. I am unrighteous. He is righteous. He was my substitute. And at the cross, he died for me. At the cross, my unrighteousness, my filthy sin, my wrath, deserving sin, the punishment that I deserve, it fell on him. It crushed him so that I might be made righteous. And the way that you live, according to Romans chapter 1, is by trusting that Jesus. And we run around in our lives trying to live. We think we can make a life for ourselves. We think we can do it on our own. And so if the gospel message was, here's how to live, here's 10 ways to make your life better. Here's how to be prosperous. Here's how to be rich. Here's how to be healthy. Here's how to be funny. Here's how to be popular. Here's all these things. The world will applaud you. They'll buy your books. If you're good at it, they'll put you on a big stage. But Paul's message is not, here's how you can fix your life. His message is, you can't fix your life. You need to depend and trust and have faith in this one Jesus. And people go, nah, I don't want that. And that's why we might be ashamed. Because people look as if we're mad. You're ridiculous. You're going to believe in some bloke who lived 2,000 years ago and end up dead and across. You're ridiculous. You're stupid. And we may be tempted to put the shoes in the cupboard and to never get them out again, to never talk about Jesus again because it's so shameful until you realize this is what people need. They don't want it, but they need it. Do you know the shocking thing is that day by day I find that I don't want it. But I need it. Because when I drove up that hill and overtook those leaders and flashed my lights and honked my horns, they were seeing the true me. I am a moral failure. I really should be ashamed of my sin. 
but Jesus took my shame. That's why Jesus had to die. And it doesn't matter how many times I try and make it up or pretend that I'm a good person or I cover it over or however many times I'm patient with the old person who's driving up the hill slowly. It doesn't matter how many times I... That's not the real... The real me is a failure. That's why I need this Jesus. So look, we need this Christmas, this Boxing Day. Let's get this clear. All of us will face the pressure. All of us will feel ashamed of Jesus. There will be moments in our lives when we feel, I'd rather hide him in a cupboard. For some of us, perhaps watching online or whatever, for some of us that might mean hiding Jesus in the cupboard permanently and saying, I just don't want you. I'm too ashamed. I don't want you. I just want to do it my way. I'll live for my power I'll live my life doing the things I want. But Paul said, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because although it's not what people want, it is what every single one of us needs. It's what every single person in London needs. And therefore, we need to hold our nerve with Paul. And every day, we need to say to ourselves, as we're tempted to, put Jesus in the cupboard, as we're tempted to hide him or soften the gospel or change the gospel or make the gospel about doing nice things for people. It's good to do those things. It's great to clean people's streets, but it will not solve their problem. Only Jesus, his death on the cross will. So I wonder this afternoon, can we say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the power our world needs. It's the salvation our world needs. It's the faith our world needs. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you that this gospel is extraordinary good news. And Lord, each one of us in this room and online watching confesses that we've, we feel ashamed. Lord Jesus, we feel ashamed of you. We fear the, what people think. We, we know that it's not what our world wants. Lord, we're so sorry when we are ashamed of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you died on a cross to make us righteous, to bear our shame. And we pray that we might be people who are unashamed. Unashamed because this is what our world needs. This is what we most need. This is the power that we need that truly sets us free. The salvation we need that truly deals with our biggest problem and the faith that we need that enables us to live. Lord, please teach us these things we ask. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.